It is now episode 92 of the Saints FC podcast. Um, And on the line with me, I have Tom Parker. Tom, how are you? Yeah, really good. High spirits, John. How are you? Good. I'm also in Saints-related high spirits. So, you know, that's that's good. That's better than last time when we were in (laughs) Saints-related low spirits. And... um, you know, we, we, we're just having a little bit of a chat before we got started here and we're both even drinking beer on this uh, Wednesday evening as we're recording and we're both having issues in um, protecting our beer from our wives um, and uh, we're having to drink it just so that we get a chance to drink it. This, I yeah, mean, you're not fast, you're last in this house, John. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so for kind of like she's always like, yeah, yeah, you don't need to get any more beer, we're fine and then... Um, yeah, and then of course, the beer gets drunk before I get to it. So anyway, not tonight. I'm just going to close the door so Sophie can't hear me upstairs talking about her on the podcast and about stealing beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, you know, the worst thing is if they listen to it, which they say they do, um, then you're, they'll, you know, then we'll be in trouble. And yeah. If not, we'll, you know, we'll be fine. Does it may tell you that she listens to the podcast? I mean, safe. I don't think Sophie's ever listened to a single episode of mine. Yeah. No, I have listened to it. I think, you know, I think when I was working away a lot more, I imagine it was a comfort. And now I'm at home all the time. It's probably the last thing. <laughs> I don't want to hear your voice again. Yeah, yeah all bloody day. But yeah, yeah no. So she listened to in the past. Big Saints fan, obviously. So, yeah. yeah, you know. Oh, there we go. Well, um, <clears throat> big shout out to Sophie and him, eh? I don't expect he would be listening, <laughs> but there we go. Um, if you'd also like to... Give a shout out to someone who you know is not listening to the Saints FC podcast, of course. Email us saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com and we'll endeavour to do our best. Um, two wins to talk about, Tom, and a transfer market or a transfer window, um, which I think we ought to review. So that that's quite a lot to kind of fit in. Um, yeah. And I think we should start with our kind of very rare win at, at you know, at Burnley. Can you cast your eye yeah. back, Tom? Can you remember this one? I can. Saturday night, 8 p.m., which for me is an unnatural time for a football match to be played. Um, not, you know, it's not God's law to be played at that time. If, when was the last time we got a result of Burnley? Was it like something horrendous? Like, was it 2007? Yeah, I think it was I quite a long time ago. Points. Yeah. It's a long time ago. Obviously, horrible first game of the season. Um, but Burnley look a shadow of their former selves, don't they, John? Well, I mean, it was an interesting one because uh, um, I think it was Sky were covering the match and they had this stat on the Burnley bench where they had two defenders. I think they were both mm. fullbacks who had a lot of appearances between them. And then every single other player on the bench didn't have a single uh, Premier League appearance between them. 
I don't think Burnley even made a substitution throughout the entire game. They didn't. No. They and... had two, yeah, I think you're right. They had two full-backs that had something like 280 Premier League games, and the rest were just children. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, they, they had all the injuries, didn't they? I mean, I was very relieved to see that Jay Rodriguez was um, not someone I like to see injured, but relieved that he was not available for the game against Southampton. And uh, I think Sean Dyche was trying to make a point as well. And, and and also the other thing which happened, which was so good for Saints, because, you know, Burnley are one of those teams that they can sit deep. Um, they'll play long balls over the top and we'll just never get a sniff. But because we scored so early, it, it just put all the pressure on them. Um, you know, they have more yeah. possession than us in the end, which is, is not something you'd normally see in a... Yeah, Southampton don't like having loads of, of possession and we didn't have loads of possession in, in this one. You know, we let Burnley have, have more of it, which which is rare and a treat and ultimately we, we won. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously it helped Burnley hugely depleted. I think, you know, their two big centre-backs were out. Um, players that like, I think, is it, uh, you know, Ashley Barnes has now gone to Newcastle. They seem to score against us every single time. Was that Jeff Hendrick, Ashley Barnes? Um, and Chris Wood up front, he has a, has a good record against Saints. But yeah, you know, I think we we said many times before, Saints are much better without the ball, and are much more comfortable not having the ball. Perversely, um, and I think it was it was a great goal, Donald. And I think Saints have got something going on through Carl Walker Peters, the right back. Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about this goal because um, <clears throat> I think is you know Bednarek uh, gives it to Carl Walker Peters. <laughs> And and he really, you know, he starts it all off in, in earnest. I think the attacking move starts from him um, running towards goal. Armstrong does a, a fantastic kind of um, run down the right wing, which which I think takes a Burnley defender with it. And he threads this beautiful through ball to Che Adams. And um, you've got to say, Che Adams, great vision, um, you know, really clear thinking to kind of run onto that and then pass it back to Ings, who scores the goal. A little bit fortunate, you could argue. Um, had like quite yeah, a it was a weird finish, wasn't it? Yeah, I think kind of the the Burnley defender got to it, didn't he? And and they kind of got to it about the same time, and it almost like he kicked it against Ings's foot, and then it kind of looped into the net. It was weird because it looked like an own goal, didn't it? Because it was just a strange connection, mm. um, but a great goal. And I, th- I think you know that is a a, a furrow that. Um, the Saints are clearly going to plough this season, which is the the incredibly talented Carl Walker Peters. What a footballer he is! What what a what a brilliant player the Saints have. Um, you know, just making those clever runs, clever clever passes into the box. We saw him do it against Spurs, Ings' first goal there, um, and it was a beautiful pass. And John, I, I know I shared on our WhatsApp group a fascinating article about Shea Adams, um, which I. I I don't know if you read, John, about Shea Adams' decision-making and whilst his, you know, his tendency to kind of lash at goal when he shoots, but everything he does in the run-up to goals and how important he is in the build-up to our play. And it was a brilliant, you know, you know the easy thing for him to do would have been to try and score from that difficult angle, but it was a great spot to pick out Danny. Is it, I mean, Shea Adams is an incredible football player when he's not trying to score goals. I think that's kind of what we're learning. And then as soon as he tries to score goals, I think he feels an immense sort of pressure upon himself, which which makes him misfire. Um, but I thought this 
this past, this whole build-up, Carl Walker-Peters' chairdoms were just a- absolutely brilliant. So, I mean, what else did it say in this article, Tom, that, that we need to be looking out for? Is it just, is it, so, yeah, is maybe it catching we can that feeling? Or? Share, yeah, essentially it's that Shea Adams is doing everything right and that Shea Adams is actually indispensable to Saints because, you know, he makes players around him better and he's clearly the best foil for our most lethal striker, Danny Ings. But, what they're essentially saying is, is he has a tendency to, if you look at how Danny Ings will almost pass the ball into a net, you know, place it. You look at the goals last season against mm. Norwich, against Watford, where he's Bournemouth, where he sort of passes it back then, it really. Um, that, uh, Shea Adams has a tendency to do everything right until the very last second, at which point he kind of lashes it as hard as he can get. Um, you know, we saw that against Spurs, uh, with the first chance that Lloris saved. And he kind of, you know, he just has a tendency to maybe try and leather it. But by leathering it, he loses control. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you look at his play in the totality of what he brings to Saints, um, then his running, his energy and his, you know, maybe you need a number two. You know, maybe when you've got a big name striker like Danny Ings, who's clearly one of the top boys of the league, Maybe it's no shame being the kind of um, the the assistant, you know, the Robin to that Batman. I don't know. <laughs> I I guess the um, <clears throat> it's probably okay as long as we don't need uh, you know to rely on him to be Batman at, at any point. But you know, I think with Chadams, we at the end of last season we saw that he he can do it. You know, he can score goals if he if he needs to. Um, and I think he, you know, I think he will score goals this season but he, he does need to calm down in front of goal I think that that seems abundantly clear but I agree he seems like a really perfect fall for Danny Ings and I am not even for one minute suggesting that we take Chad Adams out of the side because definitely not if you watch the full game you're not just focusing on the highlights you can see how much work he does for Danny Ings he creates space for Danny Ings he, he creates space for all of our attacking moves and I'm sure that Danny Ings gets more goals because of Chad Adams' presence on, on the pitch um and uh, you know, I think he looks more more dangerous when Chadams is on the pitch than when Chadams is not on the pitch. Um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, John. Yeah. I mean, I think he's yeah, that's his that's his striking partner, and I think they've they've obviously got a very good relationship. And I thought the assist for the goal was was you know it was perfect, wasn't it? it was exactly what we needed. Yeah. Um, so Saturday eight pm, you know, prime time television s- slot. Uh, this probably wasn't a prime time game, really, was it? Because other than the Saints goal. <laughs> Um, I was really struggling was awful, to um, it, really? pick out anything else worth um, worth mentioning. I mean, there was Chris Wood's dive for a penalty, which is quite uh, I think yeah. quite amusing because Sean Dyche always claims that um, his players don't dive, but they do. And I thought McCarthy made a really good save from uh, Burnley's left back Taylor. Um, do you remember that one? Yeah, absolutely thundered. Very it. smart save, wasn't it? Yeah, very smart save down to his right. Um, yeah, and and I guess that's isn't it? That's the measure of a good goalkeeper is when you don't have much to do, can you retain the concentration? Yeah, it was a really clever save, um, and I think the react. Uh, you know, we we said this before. You can tell everything about what's happened on a pitch by the reaction of the players. Yeah. I always think, and and if you look at the reaction of the Burnley players, particularly Terry hits it, he thinks it's a goal. You know, he can't believe that McCarthy's got. Not only as well, credit to credit to you, not only does McCarthy save it, he does exactly what he should do, which is pushes it further out wide. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be quite easy to push that ball into the back of the six yard box. So, yeah, really important save. And, um, you know, after having a bit of a nightmare against May, uh, against Tottenham, sorry, uh, I think that was a real, you know, I imagine it's a real confidence boost in the car. Yeah. And it's, you know, a totally different game, isn't it? Um, and I think, you know, we thought Vestergaard might come in. I thought he, that's probably the other thing worth mentioning is, you know, Burnley had eight corners. They played lots of long balls. Um, and Vestergaard, who looked so awful at Turf Moor um, at the start of last season, actually looked very, very assured in the lineup, uh, I thought. And, um, you know, Ralph was proved right with his tactics to, to choose Vestergaard over Stevens because we got the clean sheet. We limited them to only two shots on target in the entire game. And, you know, that that was it. Job done. Very professional job, I thought, by Saints as well. Yeah, and if you look, and this is my fact, this is um, Scott Winter tweeted it, but yeah, the Yannick Vestergaard has played six games and hasn't conceded a goal. Saints have not conceded a goal. Well, he hasn't conceded a goal in, in the last six games he's played. So that's 2-0 Bournemouth, 3-0 Watford, 3-0 Sheffield United, second half of the defeat at Palace, 1-0 versus Burnley, and 2-0 the game will go on to talk about West Brom. So, yeah, maybe we've, you know, maybe we're sort of, you know, Salisi coming into the, the squad and, and maybe it's given Vestergaard a kick up the arse. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, he's doing well and he did well against West Brom as well. So I think that's the perfect yeah. time to move on to this one. 2-0. Um, a nearly perfect first half, I thought, you know, other than we should have had more goals. Um, but Saints were just so much better. Than, in, in my opinion, Saints were so much better than West Brom. Um throughout the vast majority of this game, but especially that first half, I felt like, you know, we were we were totally all over them. Um, you know, we talked uh, already on this podcast about how Saints don't like possession. This is another game where we had a lot of possession. We had to take the initiative, but we still found a way of doing it. And we created lots of chances. I think 13 shots, seven on target. Um, it was good. It was, it was a, a good performance all round. Um, I was, you know, a little bit disappointed with uh, Ryan Bertrand. I thought he, he could have scored. and But again, talking about Carl Walker-Peters, loads and loads of chances coming down that right-hand side. I mean, what did you make of this one, Tom? Yeah, we should have been probably... I mean, it had that... Um, you know, being a Saints fan, your most common feeling is, how have we not scored? Oh, we've just conceded. Uh, I think it's sort of a very standard life experience. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, you felt we should have been probably 3-0 up at least half-time. And I think, um, obviously, their goalkeeper was having a worldie. I mean, they looked, I mean, they looked terrible, didn't they? Yeah. If we're going to be honest. I mean, they looked really, really poor with very, I mean, very little going forward and um, no bite in midfield. Uh, they look like they got a good keeper. But, yeah, fair play to Saints. Kept plugging away. Um, didn't get despondent. I thought Danny was very unlucky with that header. Um and then Musa, who I thought was, to be frank, I thought he was pretty awful, um, apart from the goal. Um, but, you know, he did really well, didn't he? He didn't, you know, he, I think he's got a bit of a tendency to lash at the ball. But if you think, he hit the, he hit the post against Spurs with a much more measured shot. And then his little, his little Cruyff turn, taking out a couple of defenders and then just almost passing it to the back of the net with his, with his left foot. I thought it was a really smart finish. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that Cruyff turn. I counted three defenders and a goalkeeper that were sold the wrong way on that one, which um, it's one of those ones you just want to watch over and over again in slow motion and just have all the different angles of all the defenders. All yeah, They all shift over, don't they? 
uh, to his <laughs> right, and he just turns around and then and then slots it in into the net. And I, I guess that's the thing about Gineppo, isn't it? He is a player who you know you've rightly identified didn't have an amazing game, but he does something that's really special and unique. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I think we need to talk about our transfer outs as well, and we'll also talk about kind of like maybe some of our transfer ins and why we might have chosen them, but. Yeah, I mean, great finish from Gineppe. Um, yeah. And then start the second half, you know, to West Brom. Look like They kind of looked like they were getting back into it without ever really looking threatening. Yeah, they changed up in midfield, didn't they, a little bit? Um, and then they, they just sort of started to get a toehold in the game. But again, a smart save from McCarthy from that deflection of um, Carl Walker-Peters. Yeah. You know, like it's again, it's concentration, which McCarthy maybe has, has lacked in the past, and a criticism of him, but you know, just you know, doesn't need to make many saves in these games. But when he does, he gets it right, and um, you know, you could see that you could just imagine the story if that had gone in, you could see Saints sort of stumbling for a one or draw at home to a very poor West Brom team, but it, it kind of keeps us in the game. And then, just I think from that point on, the wind went out of West Brom sails a little bit, and just Saints started to assert themselves, um, and scored. An unbelievable second goal, John. I mean, it's very rare that Glenn Hoddle uh, ever gushes over Saints on the commentary. But um, yeah, Glenn Hoddle liked to volley back in his day. And he was really, really imp- impressed with Aurea Romeo here. Um, obviously, all the Saints fans listening to this, of course, would have watched Romeo coming flying out of nowhere, um, channeling his inner Paolo de Canier, shooting through the air and karate kicking the ball straight into into the back of the net um it's, it was it was an absolute wonder to behold um the first time he's managed to make it into the box all season long and he, he scores with his first touch in the box it's that's his first, not true is it yeah that's his, that's true the first first touch in the opposition box first goal in 50 games as well that's one of those which they they read out yeah. in the commentary which you can believe because you know we've all seen Romeo shoot before um and then i thought what was Probably most funny was James Ward Prowse in the post match um, interview <laughs> saying he didn't know if Romeo was uh, attempting a tackle or a volley with that. Um, but I mean, it, it was it was great, a fantastic finish, and it's exactly what Saints needed at the time. You don't believe he I, got I've it? I've watched it. No, I've watched it. I, w- I watched match the day earlier, and um, I still can't actually. I've not actually seen any footage of him because the because the defender's so close to him. I still can't believe he actually connected. I think maybe it was a nice goal. I mean, it definitely wasn't. Of course it wasn't. But it was a brilliant strike. And But John, like, talk about how good the build-up was. You know, Stuart Armstrong doing his his right-to-left Stuart Armstrong thing, which causes chaos when he does it. Just sort of sauntering across the box, doesn't it? He takes up position on the left. Yeah, um, and, and, and I think opposition defenders are really worrying about Armstrong now as well. It's like Armstrong, I think, was instrumental in Danny Ings' goal in against Burnley without even touching the ball. And it's, mm. you know, it's, it's again, he causes worry and distress, doesn't he, in opposition defenders, which is something that's so important. And, um, but I, I just felt like this was a game where, I mean, how many times have we seen Saints before come against weaker opposition, um, dominate for a first half, not get as many goals ahead, concede goals, you know, 
you know, fall to ridiculous draws and then sometimes even losses, you know, throwing away points from being in the lead. We used to bang on and on and on about Saints throwing away leads and losing games and drawing games and the most points dropped from winning positions since the history of mankind um, and, and all of this. And it just, you know, all the players I thought came out of this with quite a lot of credit. Um not so many in, uh, amazing individual performances, but the team worked really well together as a unit. And yeah, yeah. Ward Prowse, Romeo are both excellent. Um, Walker Peters is a revelation, isn't he? I mean, he's just a yeah, he's a good defender. But going forward, I mean, one of the things that, that struck me with Walker Peters is how confident he is. If you look two or three occasions against West Brom, he kind of has two West Brom players on him, and he finds a way out doesn't he? He yeah. finds a, a little bit of skill get, and it gets him out of that situation and, and also enables him to break the press. And I think he's he's given us just so much more of an attacking outlet. And he's also, to your point, he's sort of transformed Stuart Armstrong's game. I completely agree. Stuart Armstrong is almost has a free role for Saints, doesn't he? He just kind of pops up where he wants. Just because Carl Walker-Peters is proving so effective in that position. Yeah. It, it's It's... You know, it was a great goal. It was clever from Redmond, very, very astute from Armstrong, and a worldie from Romeo. And we just saw the game out quite, quite comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, and um, again, I'm really pleased about it. I think it's a really professional job um, from the Saints. And uh, I... I noticed kind of in Ralph's post-match interview, he was talking about his to- uh, automatisms again, which is mm. those like automatic things that the team do. It, it's those, it's, I don't know if it is necessarily automatic, but it's the idea that Saints will suddenly, there'll be something that will trigger all of the players into a press or into a particular style of defending or a particular style of, of attacking. And he was talking about that as well. Um, which I thought was really good. But one thing which I did pick up from his post-match interview, and I'm not sure if you picked this up, Tom, but he was talking about we need to be a good team, as in like working together, because other teams have such quality. And I don't think he was talking necessarily about West Brom per se, but more about the Premier League as a whole. Did you pick up this one? I thought that was quite interesting because it's almost been a little bit I didn't down hear on that, the players. But... Yeah. but um, really focusing on that team thing. And I, I know he said something like that in the build-up game against Manchester City is that, you know, they, they knew that they had to work together as a team and be lucky. And it's it's a mm. funny thing to come out with after a game against West Brom because you don't look in that West Brom squad and think that is littered with really talented players. I mean, yes, there are talented players in there. Um but I thought it was probably more of a comment on the Premier League in general and having done two professional team jobs against opposition. He was just kind of, I, I think, kind of really focusing on that. Well, he's right, isn't he? I mean, if you look, you know, it's early still. Fulham look pretty poor. West Brom look pretty poor. Um, Sheffield United are struggling. You know, even if you look at a team like Villa, you know, look at the quality Villa have added in the transfer window in Barclay and Watkins. Mm. Um, you know, most teams have a player that will definitely be able to hurt you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what Ralph said about Man City, of course, is absolutely right. You know, everyone has to play the best game of their lives and work harder than they've ever worked. And then you might get a result. But 
the quality of the league is such now that everyone has a t- everyone has players as player or players that will hurt you. And I think, I think also Ralph is probably just bringing the players a bit down to earth. You know, after two wins, after two poor performances, and getting ahead of the international break, and you know, also we've got two very tough games coming up, and, and it, uh, probably you know he needs the players to focus on you know, against Chelsea. They're going to have to work like they did against Man City, really, really hard. They've got a wealth of attacking options, and I think yeah, it, it's a it's a recognition that 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 for Saints, you know, the win starts from the forwards, doesn't it, in terms of the the, the pushing back and the and the press. I, I quite like it. You know, I, I like Ralph sort of doesn't get carried away with things. Yeah. And uh, I guess kind of what's also quite interesting. So these two games were obviously both, you know, dead, dead setters were like the last on match of the day. Um, but they're two kind of like professional jobs from sites and two fixtures, which didn't, catch the eye and two results which didn't really catch the eye there it was saints doing what you'd hope saints would do as a fan which is you know get a professional job done is it worth us just talking about the general premier league craziness because it is mad isn't it so i mean i looked at that the 5-2 against spurs i think was a pretty mad game but by all accounts it's you know not even in the top five mad games that we've had this season after three yeah. slash four match days, um, and you know we've got Villa coming up I think after uh, Everton and Chelsea, but the idea of Villa going and beating Liverpool seven two, is just nuts, isn't it? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was. I think Spurs doing what Spurs did to Man United in retrospect isn't actually that surprising when you look at how terrible May United's defenders are and how off his peak David De Gea is. Mm. Um, and, and also, like, just how good, you know, how good is Son and how good are Kane um, between them? They're, yeah, they're two of the best forwards in the world, aren't they? So they can tear people to shreds. Um, the Villa game is just a weird freak, isn't it? Like, it's a bit like the Newcastle game, you know, with, with the Villa game where, like, every, sorry, a bit like the Leicester game for Saints, where almost like everything Villa hit went in. Yeah. Um, but Villa could have had more. You know, what was it? Watkins hit the ball. Um, Barkley, arguably, should have probably had two before he scored his first. So it's it's just a weird thing. And I don't know, what, what is it, John? Is it the fact that there's no crowd, so forwards are taking their time? Is it just that no one's fit? Is it no one's prepared? What do you think it is? I think it's a combination of all of the above. I mean, certainly these results have had a bit of a pre-season about them. And I think, you know, watching Saints, certainly those two, uh, the first three fixtures of the season, I don't think we were anywhere near approaching full fitness. The team wasn't clicking. Lots of the players looked off the pace. Um, Tactically, we weren't able to make it, you know, adapt to things. And it did have that sort of meaningless, not that feel of a meaningless... um, you know, friendly where it doesn't matter and you kind of let go and whatever it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. You carry on. Um, but you know, I, I, is it going to be something that we're going to see continuing to the rest of the season in some ways? And I hate for being this person, but maybe saints going out of the league cup will leave us in a really good mm. position for the league. Cause if you take a team like I, Tottenham, I for example, that. they're going to, they're playing three times a week at the moment and we're playing once a week. Yeah, and it, it, no, I I agree. Yeah, it does give us a good chance, and and it means that we don't 
I mean, I, I always hate it when um, you know, Man United fans or Chelsea fans or Tottenham fans start complaining about the amount of games they've got. It's like, well, yeah, but you've already hoovered up all of the talent anyway. Like, just deal with it. That's not, you know, is Southampton going to feel sorry for Liverpool because they've got a lot of fixtures? Well, absolutely not, because there's a lot of people on that Liverpool bench who Southampton would absolutely be delighted to get their hands on. Mm. Um so I don't take that as an excuse, but I th- I wonder if it might just kind of play into our hands um, a little bit in the Premier League. And, and if we can focus on the Premier League, get ourselves into a really good position, get clicking, um, then I, I'd still like us to have a really good go at the FA Cup. But um, yeah, it, it could work out. And perhaps well, perhaps that will have an effect on, on the league this season. We will continue to see lots of madness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, if we look, I mean, Saints would have played, what, two more games already this season? If they'd have beaten, what, is that right? Brentford. Or just one? Yeah. They'd no, have beaten I... Brentford, they would have played two, yeah, they played two, because Brentford would have played two more games in the League Cup. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if you think about it like that, like that's a, we've got a very threadbare squad, haven't we? Yeah. A very threadbare squad. And, and, and yeah, do we really think that we could... Um, could have done that. Do we, do we really think we could have pulled it off and then gone to Burnley and got results? I don't know. I mean, it. It. You're right. I mean, it maybe Saints were willing. I can't believe they they threw the game. I don't think they did throw the game, but maybe in their grand scheme of priorities, that 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 tournament wasn't it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it does. You know, it's better for Saints ultimately in the long run because, as you say, these games are going to start piling up. Aren't yeah. they? It's already a short season. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah, I'm kind of quite excited about that. The other thing as well, which I think we need to touch on, and which feeds into this conversation, is you know that thin squad um, with cases of COVID on the rise again, oh, and we've already seen one of the players that we've been gushing out, uh, about over this uh, episode, Stuart Armstrong, has been uh, has, has had a positive test for COVID. So. Uh, also, the other thing is because he's been tested out on international duty, he's going to be in isolation in Scotland for two weeks, um, which is probably not ideal. I think if you catch it, you probably want to be home and not be, yeah, not be the kind of you know, in Scotland or in, in, I suppose, with that Scottish MP in London. Um, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure Stuart Armstrong will be staying in Scotland. I doubt we're going to spot him on a train coming back. Um and then I, I think that kind of what's interesting about this is then it does show you the importance of having that depth in the squad. And um, yeah, you mentioned to me earlier that you thought, well, looks like Theo Walcott's going to get a game probably quicker than he thought he would, um, which is because Stuart Armstrong's going to have to, you know, have to be off for at least two weeks. I mean, that's if he has no symptoms. And then if he does have symptoms, what's going to be the lasting effect on that? You know, we we know it. Um, affects the upper respiratory tract, which could have quite a big impact, I think, on, you know, a professional athlete's ability to get the oxygen to their lungs and, and run around a football pitch. So the Premier League craziness, you know, the, one of the things that led to Liverpool not having a great game against Aston Villa was probably the fact that Mane was off with a similar thing. And this is going to get more and more mm. common as the winter progresses, I think. Yeah, and you're right, John. It's definitely not getting any better, is it? Um, and yeah, tonight obviously our favourite Saints player, probably between us, I'd say Stuart Armstrong. Um, 
testing positive. I was maybe a bit flippant in our WhatsApp group earlier. I said, it means he'll be fine for Chelsea, he won't get injured. But your, your brother rightly pointed out, you know, that he's probably not going to be back for Chelsea. Um, and he's an integral part of what we do. And, uh, you know, I think it's three of the Scotland team have, have tested positive tonight. So, yeah, the, you're right on these additions. You know, if we look at it just like that, the, going out of the cup uh, and the additions to the squad we've made are going to be even more important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, sh- should we should we now move on to yeah the um the 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 transfer market the transfer window because we've had an interesting um certainly last couple of days which was quite exciting because Saints we don't normally have particularly exciting um transfer windows unless you talk about kind of excitement in the kind of heavily anxiety filled and hugely disappointing. <laughs> Uh, form of excitement um uh but i think you know i think it's been it's it's been quite a, a good transfer window in terms of we, we've got four players in carl walker peters requires no introduction you know he's um done really well for saints and you know making his loan permanent i think was really high on the priority list we've already seen him perform really well this this season um but we've got Ibrahima Diallo, bought from yeah. uh, Stade Brest, um, uh, which is a, a Ligue 1 side. And um, little, little facts, John. You asked for facts about Ibrahima Diallo. Yeah. Uh, of the players who attempted more than 40 dribbles in Ligue 1 since the beginning of last season, only one has a better, I don't know who it is, only one has a better success rate than Diallo, who completed 79.6%. Oh, that's quite interesting because Four I didn't, five. I didn't really realise that was the, so, so, game. So, yeah, that was his game. So obviously, yeah, w- when you read about these players, I didn't know anything about Ibrahima Diallo before Saints had, you know, their, the interest kind of talked about. Um, he is only 21 years old. He's, you know, French citizen, born in Tours. Um, in France and you know the uh, the thing which I suppose I was most excited about is you look at these young players and then you try and work out well what type of a player are they and the player that he gets compared to the most is not his brother who plays for PSG who you thought might be quite an obvious one but actually to um, N'Golo Kante of you know erstwhile Chelsea and Leicester City championship winning season uh, fame so um, if he's and N'Golo Kante, I think that's really, really good news for Saints. It's probably not great news for Oriol Romeo. He's going to have to you know, be scoring quite a few more volleys, I think, if he's going to keep someone of N'Golo Kante stature out the side. And I, I can see why the comparisons are there. You know, the guys look quite similar. They're similar in their stature. They're both French. That's the similar position that they play. Yeah. Um, similar sort of job that they're asked to do. Um, but yeah, uh, the the dribbling part is quite an interesting part because it probably shows that there's more of an attacking element to his game that I haven't yet read about or, or, or discovered. So, um, yeah, I, know, I mean, I, I, I guess I think it was a really great window for Saints. I, I really do. I think it was, it was a, a really good window because I think they clearly got, you know, player, they clearly got, you know, Walker Peters is someone they obviously desperately wanted and is an excellent player. That's a great signing. 
uh, Diallo, you know, again, John, I can't pretend to know any more than you, but um, he's clearly very highly regarded, linked to Arsenal, Leicester, Monaco, um, ends up at Saints. You know, Saints haven't broken the bank to get him, um, but fits the sort of Ralph mould in terms of young, can learn, could be sold on at some point in the future for big money. And then again, Felice, you know, he seems to be a similar type of player, but obviously very, very well regarded. Mm. much sought after and has chosen to come to States and obviously we'll go on to talk about uh, the big sort of big name signing I, I guess but I thought it was a really good sign a really good window for Saints I think we have to be pragmatic about you know players that we're going to sign and if you look I mean Watkins yes he got a, a hat-trick for, for Villa against uh, against Liverpool but I mean, he cost £28 million for a bloke who's never scored a Premier League goal. And he might go on to be brilliant, but, you know, that's how much, you know, the best championship players are going to cost now. Yeah, which is and, interesting, and isn't it? they going to spend that money. You compare that to Che Adams, who is probably the Ollie Watkins equivalent, and, and Ollie Watkins is even more expensive than that. Yeah, I mean, Ollie, what was Che, like 12 or something? 14? Yeah. I don't know, I mean... So we're going to, you know, Saints are going to have to use their scouting network to find these off the beaten track players that, you know, we're not going to sign the Hammers Rodriguez, are we? It's just not going to happen. No, but, no, no, no matter how much I'd like it. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it was like with the Gareth Bale thing, you know, he clearly wants to come back in England and have a bit of nostalgia. Um, but we were just never going to get anywhere near him, were, were we, with, no. with that? Um, so, I mean, before we get on to our, the one which I think we all want to talk about, because it gives us a chance to do some reminiscing, um, do we also we need to that. talk about some of our outs as well? So, you know, after we sold Virgil van Dijk for, you know, what, 75, 80 million quid to Liverpool, we spent the money on a group of players, which hasn't really worked out particularly well. Um, and I'll, I'll just go through some of those players, so like Guido Carigio, Wesley Hoyt, Mario Lamina, um, uh, Buffel, I can't remember if he was bought with the Virgil van Dijk money or not, if, you, if maybe he was a little bit earlier than that. But there's a lot of kind of bad signings who've been on a lot of money at Southampton and we've shifted the lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it was a terrible, I mean, I think, again, you're, you're too kind. Um, they were terrible signings, weren't they? I mean, to a man, they're, they're awful players that we signed. And not because they're bad players, but just they're just obviously completely unsuitable for Saints. Um, I thought it was quite interesting, the article today on The Athletic, where uh, Sheldon sort of, Dan Sheldon sort of talked about Buffal and said that, you know, there's no one questioning at the club, you know, Buffal's talent, but it's more about what he brings to the unit. Mm. And... Um, you, you know, we all saw with Buffal. The guy had more talent, natural talent, probably than any Saints player, probably since Matty. You know, in terms of like what he could do with the ball, but just didn't have the application. And I think, yeah, you know, we signed a lot of players. I noticed Lamina wasn't even on the bench for Fulham. Um, Hoy has been sort of passed around, you know, like an unwanted, you know, you know, like an unwanted gift at Christmas, and it's just. You know, I, such poor players and such poor choices. And I just think what Saints seem to have done now is 
almost gone back to the older way of recruitment. Mm. You'd hope. Yeah, you, know, you didn't mention Aldi Anisi there either, John. I don't think did you? Oh yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten about him. Um, but I think it was a great window for Saints, not only because the players they brought in, but because they've shifted so much of that yeah. Deadwood. Um, and that Deadwood is you know, what we're looking at there with Lamina, Hoyt. Carijo, uh, what do you reckon that is? Like 160 grand a week in wages, at least? Yeah, probably. Which, I mean... 70 grand a week wages. It, it's funny, isn't it? Because when um, people talk about football players as assets, and, you know, I, I had an accountant kind of explaining to me that, you know, players aren't considered assets on a club's, like, balance sheet. Mm. They're considered liabilities. And I think you can see that with that group of players that we've just talked about is that the asset was the 80 million quid that we got from selling Virgil van Dijk. What we managed to do is turn 80 million pounds into a huge liability of a group of players that didn't fit with Southampton. Nobody else anywhere in Europe seemed to be particularly interested in having them. And certainly nobody else was willing to pay for them. Um, And you look at kind of the Gareth Bale situation where um, nobody can afford his wages so he's kind of stuck at Real Madrid for all that time. And it's just the same here at Saints, isn't it? You know, there were kind of like four players that were so overinflated that it's cost us money really to kind of get rid of them. I mean, I think yeah. writing off £19 million, I think it was, that we played for, paid for Carrillo is just, just crazy, isn't it? It's probably the worst bit of business Southampton have done. Um, yeah. oh, absolutely. I mean, John, it, it is the worst bit of business Saints will ever have done with Carrillo. I think I saw a stat at £33,000 a minute. Yeah. It cost, which I was actually surprised it was that less, that, that little I would have thought it cost more uh, per minute. I mean, he's gone for, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Elche. Yeah. Um, you know, who are sort of perennially at the bottom end of, uh, of, of the you know, the Spanish league. And, you know, I'd love to know, apparently he's one of the better played players at Saints. Mm. I think, you know, he's not earning that money, but, uh, at Elche, but he's, you know, but he's managed to sort of, for two or three years, get that Saints wages, which is, will have set him up for life. Um, it just, you know, it, it's a mad, it was, a, it was a terrible signing, the worst signing we'll ever make. Um, and, you know, people involved should hang their head in shame. But, you know, all we can, you know, all we can do is get rid of them. And apparently the fee we got from LJ didn't even cover the cost of cancelling his contract, like the administrative cost. So I wonder if they gave us like a pound in consideration. Mm. Um, kind of so like a, a peppercorn sort of... A... Peppercorn thing, yeah. But, but, but ultimately, you know, we have to look forward and... Um, they're arguably not players that Ralph would have signed. And I think the fact that Lamina got nowhere near the first team and Hoyt and yeah, Boothard didn't really get much of a sniff kind of tells you probably a lot about the personality of these players. Yeah, I, I think as well as you know, basically what Saints have done is gone through a painful restructuring process with their, with their playing squad, which shows I mean it shows as much that they're willing to allow Ralph to write off these players get rid of them get rid of them without just you know making money despite that being kind of our whole business model um and, and moving on so you know I think 
we, we talked about it before, Salisa and Diallo, hopefully there will be players that will be talking about, you know, in the sort of Mane and Virgil van Dijk um, sort of terms in the future rather than, you know, the Kevin Danso or the Elianusi types. Um, and they very much fit with that Saints mould, I think, as does Carl Walker-Peters in, in a way as well, like getting young players with lots of untapped potential and then trying to turn mm. them into a greater force, um, potentially with an, uh, looking to sell them in for a profit in the future. But then the most interesting bit of business, I think, in, in the transfer window, and certainly the bit which kind of like ticks all the nostalgia boxes and has got us all thinking yeah. of uh, 14 years ago, is Theo Walcott on loan from Everton. And this is a transfer which I think has a lot of people bemused, but I think it has a lot of people smiling. Um, how do you feel about this? What What are your emotions thinking about Theo Walcott coming back to Saints? I'm hyped. Like, I think it's a great signing. I think it's, it's a brilliantly clever uh, signing. I think it works on a number of levels. You know, we've just spoken about wages. Um, the very well-informed athletic talk about saying, paying less than half of Theo Walcott's 110 grand a week wages, whatever it is. It's only huge money. Um, so if you think he's probably earning less than Carrillo was, um, uh-huh. so he doesn't, you know, so the, the club remains net in profit still in terms of, you know, outgoings every week on wages. Um, and what a player to bring back. I don't think it is just a, um, a, a kind of nostalgia play because I actually don't think there's any real room for that. I don't think Ralph does nostalgia. I almost think also it was so long ago that, um, that, uh, that, you know, no one at the club was there when he was there. So I don't think, you know, so he goes there. I think it's a really pragmatic, smart signing of a player that has kept himself incredibly fit, um, clearly wants to play, can play across, Saints play a front four. He can play across any position in that front four. He's got over a hundred goals. You know, you know, he's much maligned, but he's got over a hundred goals for Arsenal. He scored against Barcelona. He scored against the top teams in European football. He's got 47 caps for England. He's got goals for England. Um, he loves Saints. He wants to be there. Financially, it makes sense. We've got some very raw young players that will absolutely benefit from looking at the career someone like Theo Walcott has had and looking at how he maintains himself. Um, and, you know, I, I don't get it. There was some negativity. I just don't understand it. I mean... Do we really think that, you know, Gineppo played, started 12 games last, sorry, 10 games last season. Um, Armstrong does get injured a fair bit and now has coronavirus. Uh, Redmond, you know, with the sort of game that he plays is liable to injury. We don't have a big squad. You know, we look at, you know, once you get rid of those guys, you're looking at Nathan Teller. Yeah. Um, who might be very talented, but, you know, it's too early to say. And, for me, this is a great signing. I just don't, I don't understand the negativity. John, what, what, do, what do you think? I, you know, I, I'm, I've been poring over kind of Theo Walcott's stats, and what I think is kind of quite amazing, really, is he only played twenty three times for Saints, mm-hmm. um, and scored five goals, which is not you know bucket list. But I think you know, when he burst onto the scene as a sixteen year old. 
if you were there for some of those games where he did have an impact, which he did in most of the games he played in, he's such a wonderful football player. And I think, you know, from watching 16-year-old Theo Walcott and watching 16-year-old Gareth Bale, I thought Theo Walcott would go on to bigger things than Gareth Bale. I think he had more natural talent. Um, he's, he, you know, he's had a career which I think probably didn't necessarily reach the heights that maybe people kind of hope but I think at 16 he was so overhyped there was such a lot of pressure to have on a 16 year old's shoulders that you're right you know over 100 Premier League goals um yeah goals in you know some really important um is it, no probably not no, over 100 goals for Arsenal um yeah lots of goals in Europe as well European competition he's had over 20 goals yeah. um he's had I think eight goals for England in those uh, international appearances including a hat trick um and actually, you know, he, he's not going to look back on his career and think, oh, what a disaster career I've had. He's going to look back on it and think of it very fondly. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. You know, if in that position we'd chosen, you know, let, let's, let's not beat around the bush. I think, you know, there were other players that Saints wanted before, which we've missed out on. And we haven't got the Diallo or Salisu equivalent, which is that young player with buckets of potential. But that's... Yeah, that's what Gineppo is. So, and, and also I think, you know, you look at Salisu and you look at Diallo and, you know, with Diallo and saying, he's supposed to be the new N'Golo Kante. With Salisu, they're saying, you know, well, he's hope, you know, hopefully he can replicate some of the things that Virgil van Dijk would do. You don't need to do that with Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott is Theo Walcott. You know what you're getting. And that's quite exciting for Saints. We don't often get a player who is famous in their own right for being the sort of football player that they are. Um, I'm excited. I, I, I'm excited in seeing what he can do on the pitch. I think he offers us something different. Um, I think he's he comes across as a really good professional. I think he'll very happily try and slot into what Ralph is doing. And it's good to bring someone in who has, you know, I don't know, probably 350 Premier League appearances to his name. That's a lot of experience. That's a lot to, to draw on. Yeah, and we, you know, if you th the deal makes the deal makes total sense. He's also a free agent at the end of this season, so say he does do well, yeah, um, there's a chance Saints could keep him. Um, if he doesn't do well, you know, my, by my terrible numbers, it's an investment of about two million pounds for Saints. Yeah, if the contract runs out at the end of June, um, uh, which of course is a huge amount of money. Um, but in the world of Premier League football, it's not. It's, it's one place in the league. So I, I think it's a great move. I think it's still good factor. It's a shame the fans won't be there to see him back on the pitch. Um, but I, I think he'll be raring to go, and I think he'll have a point to prove. And I think he'll lift the entire club. Um, so, like, yeah, what's not to love? It's a great signing. My only disappointment is they didn't, you know, they didn't use the three hour walk up from Peep Show, uh, it, it, it joke in, in the video, but that's just that's my I'll have to live with. But yeah, I, I don't, I just don't get the negativity, John. I think there's a certain sort of section of Saints fans that are just, you know, that, that yeah, it's a certain section of people that are just never really happy with stuff. And I, I think, I think this is a really astute signing for Saints. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm absolutely uh, thrilled about it. And um, let's let's go to uh, Gary, who's emailed in. Gary Seward. Um, guys, like many, I'm absolutely elated at the return of Theo Walcott at our fair club. The passion he has to play for us is obvious in his interviews. Um, I do wonder what would have been the fans' reaction had Adam Lalana returned, former academy graduate, left to play one of the top six. Bit more of an acrimonious departure for Adam, though. What about if the Ox came back, or dare I say, slash dream it, Gareth Bale? Um, we don't want to be in an academy graveyard, but if they can still do a job, inspire the young lads, and we get value for money, why not? As to the romanticism of football, too, not had a fairy tale story since Ricky left to complete his journey uh, at his hometown club. Might have been a good one to mull over on the latest pod. Well, there, here we are. That's what we're doing, Gary. Um, if you have time, of course. So, it is an interesting point, and I think there's a lot of warm feeling um, towards Theo Walcott. I think overwhelmingly the reaction has been positive. There are always the kind of naysayers out there. Um, I think it probably would have been different with Adam Lalana, but um, mm. I don't know. I wouldn't have been against him coming back. I think Adam Lalana's going. But I think it's a different financial proposition, isn't it? Because mm. Lallana, I think, has been given a what a three-year contract at Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, on probably what the same money that um, Walcott was on at, at Everton, so what north of a hundred grand a week. Yeah. So in you know, so that's what again back the fag packet without any signing on bonus or any bonuses. That's a guaranteed fifteen million pounds heading Alan Lallana's way. Yeah. Over, over three years, which is a lot for a player. He hasn't played 90 minutes in the Premier League since 2017. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a different proposition for me. And also, you have to think about the manner in which they left. Like, Walcott left with everyone's best intentions, you know, but everyone's best wishes. Um, Lalana left in a kind of fit of peak. So, yeah, I don't think it's... Um, I don't think they're comparable. No. What, um, what about say Chamberlain and and I mean I think everyone would take Gareth Bale in a heartbeat because he's probably still one of the the best football players in the world. But Oxlade Chamberlain is an interesting one. What's what's he doing at Liverpool at the moment? Because I haven't seen him make an appearance, no, but I think he did have quite a few um, appearances last season. So I don't. I wonder if he, he maybe is, maybe if he's injured. Yeah, I've not seen him um, this season at all. Um, but uh, he played a fair number of games, didn't he, last year? I mean, looking here, so appeared in 30 Premier League games last season. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I imagine most of those off the bench. But again, you know, to the point about wages, you know, these guys don't take pay cuts. No. Uh, and, you know, like, Saints would have to break the bank uh, to sign Oxley Chamberlain, who incredibly is still only 27 years old. Um, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, for me, this is the this is the smart transfer. But absolutely, we'd all take we'd all take Oxley Chamberlain back, and we definitely would take Gareth Bale. Yeah, interesting fact. I saw um, the last live game of football I saw was uh, Tavistock versus Gosport, and Oxley Chamberlain, Alex's brother, was there. Uh, was playing in, in that game. Is he any good? Can we get him in? Did he do a job? Uh, I don't think he'd do a job job for us, I'm afraid. Um, 
I've got one more email to, to read out, Tom. It's from a chap called Scott Gorman. And Scott, I do like the picture that you've got as your kind of email profile. Very professional. He's uh, To describe Scott, he looks like, you know, nice kind of good, smiley, rugged looking man, sharp haircut with a light blue shirt and a kind of orangey golden tie. He's, he's looking great here. Um, so he says, hello, gentlemen. First of all, thank you for taking the time to do what you do. You're welcome, Scott. Uh, living in the States, I find that your podcast is my bridge to Southampton supporters and really enhances my experience as a fan. Um, lovely for you to say so, Scott. And my question is, with Nathan Redmond missing time, is it finally time we give Josh Sims a look, even if only off the bench? And if not, what turn of events would need to take place for him to finally factor in? The age-old Josh Sims question is coming back, Tom. What, what do we think? Well, when I said earlier that Stuart Armstrong is our favourite Saints player, I think before Stuart Armstrong, there was Josh Sims. Uh, we love Josh Sims on this podcast. We think he's... I don't know what he is, is he? He's not quite a winger. He's not quite a central midfielder. Um, he's definitely not a forward. But he's someone who's always looked great for Saints and has always has made the difference in the few games he's played. Um, he hasn't even given a squad number, has he? No. Uh, and he was playing for the B team the other night. Uh, I mean, I've got a feeling that Josh Sims will be, you know, it, we just, we've, we've kept a lot of players for a number of years that aren't getting anywhere near the first team. And I, I mean, like Sam McQueen, Jake Hesker, and uh, sadly now, I think you probably have to put Josh Sims in that category. Um, I just don't think he's getting anywhere near that squad. Yeah, I, I, I think he'll be a very good footballer for someone else, but just clearly Ralph doesn't rate him. Yeah. It's 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 a shame, isn't it? Because I think in all those sort of appearances he's done, he's, he's had for Saints, we've he's been involved in some really important kind of build-up play. Um, yeah, not a big goal scorer uh, necessarily, and and perhaps that's what you know means that he's he's not getting the, the chance. But he's twenty three years old; he probably needs to move on, and it it pains me to say it. And I think you know you you, you look. At, Actually, Josh Sims looks an awful lot like Stuart Armstrong in some ways. If, if you look at their <laughs> mugshots, um, uh, had an interesting stint with um, Red Bull New York, and I think that that went pretty well. But um, he does look like Stuart Armstrong. God, you're right, John. Yeah, I think he he probably you're right. I think as much as it pains me um, to say it, I think he probably does need to move on because if he's not been given a squad number. If we signed Theo Walcott, which is another player that fits into that, Nathan Teller's clearly a- ahead of him in the pecking order. Um, I don't know that he's going to get a chance, is he? No, and it's uh, yeah. I just it, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you know we don't know much about, and I don't mean to besmirch Nathan Teller, but we don't know much about Nathan Teller, but. If you're looking for an impact player off the bench, you would have thought Josh Sims would be it. Um, it's obviously just something hasn't worked out there, whether it's like a personality clash or whatever it is. It's weird because you think Josh Sims with this sort of high energy style would fit well into the pressing game of the Ralph demands. Um, I just I don't know what it is. I don't know if we'll ever find out. It's a very strange one. Yeah, I, I think the other thing which also makes it more strange is the loan to Red um, New York Red Bull is 
you know, they're a club that play a similar sort of style of football. So it made sense. Get him some practice playing that similar style of football. Then he can come back and, and immediately slot in. But it just hasn't happened. So I don't know. I think we're probably not going to see Josh Sims, I'm afraid, Scott Gorman. Um, but, you know, thank you for the email. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe we haven't seen the last of, of Josh Sims, but I, I kind of hope that we see him in a Southampton shirt again. Um, Tom, not loads more time to talk about anything else. We've got an international break. England are playing against Wales tomorrow. Uh, James Will Prowse and Danny Ings are both back in the England squad. Um, yeah, deservedly. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of a bit surprised about James Will Prowse because I think his level of performance has perhaps dropped off a little bit. And I was very surprised that he didn't get in on the pitch in the game against Denmark um, in the last yeah. round of international fixtures. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what see what happens there, see if either of them get a game. Um, hopefully neither of them will get COVID like Stuart Armstrong has and neither of them will get, will get injured because, you know, even if they're not front and centre of Gareth Southgate's plans, though they are very much front and centre of Ralph Hasenhutl's plans. And then after the international break, uh, as you mentioned before, we have a pretty tough run of fixtures. So we've got Chelsea away, um, a game which we won last season 2-0. Everton at home, a game which I think was arguably our worst performance of the season last season. And that was against a poor Everton side. Now Everton are looking scintillatingly good. And... um, it's a shame, isn't it, to not be at St Mary's and see. I quite like, you know, to watch a player like James Rodriguez. I'd like to watch him live. Um, and we're not going to get a chance to see that. We're not going to get a chance to see James Will Prowse versus James Rodriguez in the middle of the pitch at St Mary's, you know, in person. But um, I think that would be an interesting battle, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. I th- I th- that'll be a good game, Saints Everton. Um, obviously, Everton are kind of flying. Uh, yeah, it'd be good because there's lots of interesting battles on that pitch. Obviously, you've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Danny Ings, you know, both, you know, would fancy their chances of, of being number two, Terry Kane. Um, you'll have a real battle in midfield with Allen and, and James Will Proud and Allen and, um, you know, Decore against Romeo. Yeah, interesting game. The Chelsea game is going to be really hard. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, but we at the end of the day, you have to go and play these teams. Uh, over the course of the season and I'd rather go and play in them after coming fresh off an international break after two two wins and two clean sheets yeah absolutely well we'll look forward to those um, they're not for a little while so I don't think we need to get into too much depth uh, hopefully listeners you've enjoyed um, hearing the musings of me and Tom and uh, hopefully you're all as excited excited to see kind of the new Saints players uh, through your television screen, unfortunately, instead of it live. But um, yeah, great that uh, I think these players get a chance to kind of get in there and work with Ralph for a little bit before we have our next fixtures. And touch wood, we won't have any players coming back injured or COVIDed from international duty and we'll get to see them, see them kicking on. Um, as always, if you do want to get in touch with the Saints FC podcast, you can do so saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter if you prefer tweeting. And thanks to all of those of you that kind of email in and tweet us regularly. Um, I think that's it from me, Tom. Yeah, well, yeah, it's been a good show. I've enjoyed this. Okay, great. Well, bye-bye everyone and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>